Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, December 13th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I suppose we'll start with what was the biggest college basketball story of the weekend. It was certainly the scariest. In the first half of Saturday's Florida-Florida State game down in Tallahassee, the preseason SEC Player of the Year, Keontae Johnson, collapsed while walking back onto the court following a timeout. He was immediately surrounded by medical officials. He was placed on a stretcher. He was removed from the court and rushed to the hospital where he remains in what is described as, quote, critical but stable condition. Terrible scene, terrible situation. Norlander, were you watching the game when it happened? And if so, what were your initial thoughts? Was not watching the game when it happened. This was an 11 a.m. Eastern tip. I was uh, I was getting ready to kind of get into my college hoops monitoring situation around noon, a little afternoon, was with my kids just, frankly, cleaning up the house. And uh, when this happened, I was not aware of it probably until about 20, 25 minutes after it actually happened. So, no, I did not see it. I still have not. I'm aware that the video is out there of Keontae Johnson actually collapsing. I have not looked at it. I do not want to look at it. I'm told that it is obviously something that is not easy to look at, period, uh, which would make sense there. So, no, I have not seen it, but this is... This is really where we should be starting with the podcast because, yes, as we record this on Sunday evening, uh, Keontae Johnson remains in stable but critical condition, and his family has been flown, or at least his parents have been flown, to Tallahassee to be with him. Mike White, the coach at Florida, remains in Tallahassee while the rest of the team went back there, and so we don't have another update yet. There's no telling if we'll get an update an hour after we publish this podcast on Sunday night or if we'll get one I would think we will get one at some point on Monday but uh but the details still remain fairly minimal at this point one thing that we have learned after this uh this first was reported by the Associated Press's uh college writer in the Florida area Mark Long and then Jeff Goodman subsequently reported this as well this has still not been disclosed by anyone at Florida, but Keontae Johnson reportedly contracted COVID-19 in the summer, and whether or not this actually played a role in what happened here, we don't know, but it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it, that when you have a situation like this and the person has had COVID, obviously the concerns are elevated, and we wait to learn more from Johnson's situation as soon as we can, but we obviously wish him the best and are hoping for a... um, a quick, speedy, hopefully healthy recovery, but uh, but that's where we have uh, that's what we know right now as we record the podcast. There are a lot of people speculating, uh, particularly when it was reported that Keontae had COVID this summer, that these two things must be tied together. I, I I'm just not comfortable doing that. I, I don't know. We don't know. 
um, it's too early to speculate on the cause of what happened Saturday. Is it the result of COVID? I don't know. Is it tied to some pre-existing condition? I don't know. Is it just a new thing that could not have been prevented no matter what? We don't know. And so I'm unwilling to speculate. But these are obviously big questions that are going to need to be answered someday. And the answers, I think, are important, um, not just for the University of Florida and for Conte Johnson, but for the, the college athletics in general. But as we sit here on Sunday night, we simply do not have the answers to those questions. I texted a friend of mine who's a nurse earlier today. And because, I, you know, we, we constantly like if you watch the news at all, you're constantly hearing, especially local news. It's like well, somebody was shot. Somebody was in a car wreck. They're in critical condition. They're in stable condition. I, I don't know that I'd ever heard critical but stable. That was that was a new one on me. And it, it's it, it seems like it's two terms that contradict each other. So I texted a nurse who's a friend of mine and I just said, hey, what is critical but stable mean to you? What does it suggest to you? And she said, well, it suggests to her that he is likely intubated on a ventilator in, in, in perhaps in a medically induced coma, but they have stabilized his condition in general. And so I want to be clear, that's not my opinion. It is the opinion of a nurse who, when I said what, and she's a sports fan, she, um, she knows the count, she knows can she knows the story. Um, she said it suggests to me that this is serious, which he, I think nobody denies, and that he was probably um, on a vent or intubate, intubated and in, in some sort of medically induced coma, which is just, again, terrifying. And so, like I said, way too early to speculate on, on why this happened and if it could have been prevented. Uh, right now, um, the most important thing is just to hope that Keontae Johnson gets well. So here's hoping the next update is a great one. I was actually watching the game and it was an unusually early start. It's, you know, I live in the central time zone. It started at 10 AM. And so you and I were prepping. You, you might've been better than I am prepped earlier, but I was pre- prepping in the 10 o'clock hour because we were doing pregame at 1045 central 1145 Eastern on Kentucky Notre Dame for CBS Sports HQ. So I was just prepping for Notre Dame, prepping Kentucky. And so I've got the game on, but I'm not somebody who can like, I, I hear like I've got friends who are writers. You might be able to do this. It's like, yeah, I listened to the new Taylor Swift album while I was writing. Or I, or yeah, I was listening to this podcast, but I cannot do that. I, I cannot, I have to have silence. And so when I sit here, anytime I'm working, whether it's prepping or actually writing, I'm in silence. Um, and so I had the game muted, but it was on right you know, on, my, on my television in my office. And I glanced over and I saw what appeared to be Florida players crying. And I was like, did, did I just miss a fight? My first, my first instincts were that I just missed some sort of scuffle. You know, and, and so I even rewound it. And I couldn't see anything. And then, of course, I immediately go to Twitter and I, I, it's Keontae Johnson has collapsed. And I, I know you haven't seen the video yet. I have. I, 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 I did go see. I wanted to see it. I, 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 it's uncomfortable as it, as it is, but it is, it's an awful watch because he's walking out of a timeout. He's leaving a timeout and he's walking toward midcourt. And he just, I mean, I guess collapse is the appropriate word. He falls nose first into the court and you're and the thing that strikes struck me most and i think would 
most people who watched it would agree is the reaction from the teammates closest to him was complete panic. It wasn't like, Hey, is he okay? They were freaking out and waving, get out here, get out here, get out here. And then you're just hoping that he moves. Let's see him get up. Because if you really just pass out and you hit your head as hard as he appeared to hit his head, you, 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 you wake up and you're perhaps you're bloody, but you're awake. You just hoping he, he just doesn't move. And then they're surrounding him and then they get him out for the stretcher and then they're in the hospital. And now here we are, but it is, it was a tough thing to see. I, you know, I, I, I wanted, I knew I was going to have to talk about it. So I wanted to have every bit of information I could possibly have. So I watched it, but it is, I understand why television networks would be hesitant to show it because it, it looks bad. And we know, we also know the result of it is bad. Yeah. Um, Mike White did not speak with the media still hasn't since this all happened. Um, because, he, you know, Johnson was, was taken to the local hospital there and absent uh, a real update, uh, it was either his or his university's decision just not to make him available in that moment because he was obviously going to get asked a lot of questions and he did not have the answers to them. So we wait to see and hear more from him and the university whenever they can, whenever they can provide it. Um, my last thing on this is obviously an incident like this quite clearly uh, brings into focus, clearer focus, bigger question, more urgently, um, the, uh, the very nature of why we're playing college basketball to begin with. Again, this is not speculative at all, but I'm saying when you have a player who collapses like this and there are existing concerns about the potential for heart issues or myocarditis, even if the percentages are quite low, they're still there. And so... Who knows where we go next with this? Who knows what changes with this conversation, if it changes at all with any of this? Um, but we'll see. But obviously, this is just a horrendous thing. It's a very scary thing. And, you know, we don't know whether or not Keontae Johnson would have collapsed if this was normal times and we weren't living in a pandemic. We don't have the answers to those yet. Who knows if we will get the answers to that? But we wish him the absolute best. And, when we podcast again, I'm sure we'll be able to update the situation as it is. But we we certainly we're talking about Florida's best player, preseason SEC player of the year, uh, by all accounts I've heard, a, a wonderful young man. And this is uh, this is certainly a a very frightening moment for that program and and for anyone uh, anyone invested in the story, frankly. So hopefully he is able to to be better as soon as possible. You speaking to your friend who has a who has a history in working in hospitals and kind of, kind of speak to what might be the case. If that is the case, if he is intubated, then yes, that's obviously um, extremely disconcerting, but if that's what needs to be done to hopefully get him better as soon as possible, you know, hopefully we can get a, an update that is more positive going forward. We have not, it's, it's been relatively limited from the Florida side so far, and we'll have to wait and see if Monday brings more, uh, more of an update and a positive one at that. You know, the the other thing that obviously comes to mind to any hardcore college basketball fan, especially older hardcore college basketball fans, is the Hank Gathers story. Are you old enough to remember Hank Gathers? Like the story? I mean, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Um, I am old enough, but the first time it's seared into my brain, man. I was, I was, I didn't see it when it happened. I lived in Florida. Uh, it was New Year's Eve or somewhere close to it. I was at a sleepover at my buddy Cameron Westcott's house. Shouts to Cameron Westcott, who I haven't talked to in, I don't know, 27 years at this point. And there was definitely a, there was an ESPN 
year in review kind of show. And it's like 1030 at night. You know, his parents are letting us stay up. I'm in, uh, this is 1990. So I am nine years old when this happens. And I'm, I'm almost never up this late. And that ESPN special, like, straight up showed Hank Gathers collapsing. And it scared the absolute crap out of me. Like, that was, that is, uh, I can count on my hand the amount of things that I saw at a young age that, like, legitimately, like, really affected me to my core one I still have no idea why this happened but my mother let a babysitter of mine take me and a few other people to see Ghostbusters when I was like five bad idea not good not good at all uh stay puff it didn't sit well with young Norlander that's for sure uh and the gathers thing in particular that was a that was a real uh shocking thing and, and the the parallel to this in 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 what happened to Johnson and, and gathers is Gathers collapsed, and then he actually he was pronounced dead at the hospital shortly thereafter, uh, after a dunk, after a breakaway. As I understand it, Johnson also, um, I guess he had a, a score in transition, yeah, and and there we go. And then and it was a stoppage of play, and he didn't even get off the floor, just like Gathers did. So yes, there was there certainly is a uh, a scary uh, almost parallel to what's happened there versus gathers. Fortunately though, uh, with Johnson, he, he had, did not suffer the tragic fate that, uh, that the talented Hank gathers did for the younger listeners. Um, Hank gathers uh, was an absolute monster in college. He averaged 32.7 points and 13.7 rebounds. 32.7. Yeah, absurd. 30, yeah. In his junior year, senior year, 29 points, 10.8 rebounds. And this wasn't for like some bomb team. Uh, he, he led them to the NCAA tournament in 1989 and then after he passed in 1990, 1990, Bo Kimball led that team that was Hank Gathers' senior year team to the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. They were an 11 seed. He first collapsed because I don't know if you you might. I'm sure you know this at this yeah. point, but he collapsed twice. He had he, a heart he, condition, he, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Hank Gathers um, first collapsed on December 9th, 1989 against UC Santa Barbara. And it was discovered after that that he had an abnormal heartbeat. And he Missed the, he was held out the next three weeks and prescribed medicine. So he was on a medicine routine. But as the story goes, he personally believed, because when he first came back, he was not the same player. And he thought that the medicine was adversely affecting his play. So he lowered the doses. And then just before his death, there is reason to believe that he was not medicating at all on game days. By the way, in between these the first collapse and his death, he had a 48.13 rebound game against Shaquille O'Neal in LSU. 48 points, 13 rebounds against Shaquille O'Neal. That was February 3rd, 1990. And then on March 4th, 1990, he collapsed again against Portland. You know, he initially tried to get back up. He said, I don't want to lay down. And then he stopped breathing. And he was pronounced dead at a local hospital, 6.55 p.m. He was just 23 years old. And so... That is the most famous, awful story tied to college basketball, you know, an on-court death. Um, and you just, as you watch that video of Keontae Johnson, you just are hoping that it, uh, please don't let this be another one of those. And so, um, you know, at this point, you know, he, he is stabilized in a hospital, but still just a, just a terrible scene and a terrible story. And hopefully it's one that'll have a good ending. On the court on Saturday, Missouri upset Illinois um, in what was probably the biggest result of the day. I, I moved the Tigers into the top 25 and one as a result. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. 
Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's going to take the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game-changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Missouri upset Illinois on Saturday night. Final score was 81-78. Conzo Martin's Tigers are now 5-0. and They got a win over Oregon and this big win over Illinois, its rival. You a believer yet, Norlander? I moved him into the top 25 and one. You a believer in Conzo's Tigers? I mean, I was trying to get you to talk about the Tigers on, on the Friday podcast. So here we are, finally, of course. I was believing at 4-0. Now I'm definitely believing at 5-0. and This is a second huge win. They defeated Oregon uh, what, all of 11 days ago out in, out in Omaha because uh, Missouri versus Oregon in Omaha on December 2nd. That makes sense. Uh, but that's 2020. And now you get the Illinois win at home. Io DeSumo had a really good game with a really bad shot near the end of it. Uh, I watched almost all of this. I picked it up, uh, I don't know, midway through the first half, maybe even uh, even before that. Uh, DeSumo had 36 points, six boards. He did have six turnovers and four fouls. He was only one of three from three-point range, and his shot to try and tie it, which I I think came after two missed foul shots. I think it was two. I don't think it was a one-on-one situation. It almost looked like he was anticipating contact and trying to to, to draw a foul. I also, I, as I remember it, it came out of a timeout there, and whatever Brad Underwood drew up, it was not that. So Illinois, I still <laughs> they're four and two, but I'm way in on them. I mean, beat Duke, but have the lo- the loss to Baylor by thirteen, and then lose by three at Missouri there. So it's still, you know. Plenty of uh, plenty of reason for optimism for Illinois, but this is actually their third straight bragging rights loss in this series. They're at four and two, but Mizzou, uh, Mizzou fans, here you go, five and zero to start the season with a couple of nice wins, and it's been it's been a good while since you were able to. Well, first of all, since you were able to get to, off to this kind of start, trivia time, real quick. Do you know the last time this happened? When Missouri was off to a five and zero start, yeah, I bet you Golden Gate Mike was involved. Uh, no, Frank Haith was involved. Oh, that's too bad. So, yeah, South Beach, South Beach Frank was involved, actually, the last time, uh, the last time Mizzou got off to a 5-0 start. Uh, it was the 2013-14 season. They started 10-0, but that start, they didn't get a win that was near the caliber what they have recently, uh, until they won against West Virginia and then won against, uh, UCLA, uh, right around this time on the calendar, but obviously the season started way before then, but, um... 
But yes, yeah, so you have Mizzou sixteen. You said I moved him up to sixteen. Okay, and then where have you pushed? Where have you placed Illinois? Uh, Seventeen. That's fair. This was a road game for Illinois, uh, and that's fair. Mizzou's five and zero. Oh, I would put them ahead of Illinois at this point. And just real quick off this, uh, Xavier Pinson. Uh, Looks to be the kind of he might be taking a jump here for Mizzou that is going to get them into the conversation to be a top five team in that league, and then Kobe Brown had himself a pretty nice game. Um, him paired up with Jeremiah Tillman, who's now a senior. Um, they do have a, a lot of they've got a lot they've got a lot of good potential there. Kobe Brown, I actually wrote about last season. He wears twenty four because of Kobe Bryant. He's actually the only Kobe at least last season. He was the only player named Kobe who wore Kobe's number, and he was named after Kobe Bryant, period. So kind of a cool little story there. If you want to go find it, you can you can do that. I wrote about dudes that wore 24 after Kobe passed away. But yes, Mizzou, 5-0, and and likely to get to 7-0. and Next two games, if they get played, home against Prairie View A&M, home against Bradley, and then the next game that's really of note is the SEC opener, which is a home opener in the in the conference against Tennessee and yeah that's on December 30th that that could be uh the biggest game of that night that'll be a Wednesday but yes big ups and I told you Mizzou we'd give you some love if you got the win you did you're up in GP's rankings and uh that's a great thing to see because it's been a little bit of a long time coming here with uh with Conzo he's in his fourth season and and this this looks like it's going to be the year where they're going to have their best team yet and it might be a little bit delayed but the first year that they got to the tournament was when they had um Porter, but he played three games. So this is this should be the this should be the deal. You're number four for Conzo. The late game um, thinking of Io DeSumo, um, you have assessed properly. He did say post game that he heard he said their coach. I'm assuming Conzo yell foul, foul, foul. Mm. That's the other interesting thing about no almost no fans or no fans. Like you can hear every instruction from your coach and the other coach. So Io is rushing it up the court. Um, Illinois down three, and he said he heard Missouri's coach yell foul, foul, foul. So he was anticipating a foul. And he tried, to, he said, as soon as I heard him say foul, 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 I tried to get into my shooting motion. And that's why it looked like an awkward shot. He did still finish with 36. And guess who hated it? Brad Underwood. Did you see his post game quotes? I did not. He said, we can't, we can't win like that. You know, we can't, we can't win with one guy with, with, with scoring, you know, 36 of our 78. Um, that's 46% of Illinois' points were scored by Io DeSumo. And, and listen, Brad Underwood knows more about basketball than I do, knows more about his team than I do. He said we can't win that way. So they've got to – that suggests he believes they've got to get that worked out. They, can, they want Io DeSumo to be one of the best players in the country. They do not want him scoring 36 of their 78 points. Um, Missouri, we did touch on this on Friday. You know, Conzo gets there and immediately enrolls a top five recruiting class. And I don't mean like for the next season. I mean, for the, his first season, it's, it involves Michael Porter, Jonathan Porter. Um, I believe Jeremiah Tillman was a part of that. You know, it was a top five recruiting class. And then, of course, Michael Porter's hurt. And they go to the NCAA tournament, but that team was never able. It was never able to be what it was supposed to be. Year two, Jonathan Porter comes back to school, tears his ACL. You don't get any games from him. Year three was last year, and Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman both missed, you know, not insignificant amounts of time. They never been healthy. Like, I, you know, I, I do radio in Kansas City every week during the season, and we, so we talk Missouri a lot, and, you know, Missouri fans are frustrated because it hasn't been what they had hoped. And, I, and you know, like, I, I can't argue the point, but, you know, context does matter. And Conzo's just been 
just I, I think the way he just said it after Saturday night's game is, you know, we've taken our lumps, you know, like we've had some really bad luck and they've had some really bad luck. And so what's interesting to me is you look at this season's team, which looks terrific. That's the other thing. If you watch the game, I like you, I watched basically every second of it. They looked the part. You know, they didn't look, it didn't look fluky. It didn't look like, oh, they, Illinois is really bad tonight and they might get caught here. It looked like they were, Illinois was in a fight from the start and, and Missouri controlled it, you know, most of the second half. Missouri looked like whatever you think Illinois is, Missouri looked like a team good enough to beat them from the opening tip. And so Conzo's initial team is like star studded. Michael, like again, top five recruiting class. So you go, okay, well, this is how this guy's going to do it at Missouri. He's going to recruit at a high level, and then and then here we go. And yet, you look at the roster right now. Here are here's the top five scores on Missouri's roster right now. Like you said, experience: four seniors, a junior, and a sophomore. I or, or the top seven play top seven scores are four seniors, two juniors, and a sophomore. And then the top five scores. Mark Smith, he was number 79 in the class of 2017. Originally enrolled at Illinois, by the way. He, again, uh, top 79. He was 79th in this class. Second leading scorer is Drew Smith, unranked in the class of 2016. He uh, started his college career at Evansville. Third leading scorer, Xavier Pinson, number 248 in the class of 2018. Um, fourth leading scorer, Javon Pickett number 292 in the class of 2017. And then the fifth leading scorer, Kobe Brown, number 251 in the class of 2019. So Missouri's top five scores, you've got one top 100 guy and the four others were either ranked in the 200s or not ranked at all. That's not, that's not a, a common thing in high major basketball, but somehow Conzo has you know, recruited it, developed it into something that looks like Absolutely, an NCAA tournament team. I really don't have anything to add off of what you just laid out there with Missouri. If they remain uh, good, we'll have plenty of opportunities to to talk about the Tigers um, going forward. So we can move on to the next topic. I just I have to make one thing clear here. You mean to tell me, for like the past two seasons, you've had to go and talk about Missouri basketball on a radio station every single week when they haven't been good? You've been doing well, this? What? Well, we mostly, we mostly talk Kansas. Mostly talk Kansas. All right, all right, that, all right fair enough, fair enough, gotcha. Okay. And issues, but Missouri comes up. Okay. Missouri does come up. And uh, like Just, I, okay. the idea it, that you were like talking about the Tigers like on a weekly basis for three to six minutes, just kind of, it just, it threw me. So I just want to, all right. Well, well, think about it last year. I had to talk about uh, Missouri and Kansas state every week. <laughs> That's tough. That's a tough. There's only so many ways to answer whether Conzo and Bruce are doing good jobs, <laughs> you know? So it's, um, it's, it, Hey, right now, Kansas is good. Missouri is good. Kansas State's another deal, but we got plenty of material for every Tuesday in, uh, in, in Kansas City. There were some other um, notable results from the weekend. Notre Dame won at Kentucky to drop the Wildcats to one and four. Auburn beat Memphis to drop Memphis to four and three. Clemson beat Alabama to improve to five and oh. West Virginia destroyed Richmond on Sunday afternoon. Any of that interest you? Yeah. Um, Yes, uh, it, it does interest me. Literally, as by the way, as we've been recording, I was kind of like, well, we got to get this done earlier Sunday. We were going to miss the biggest game of Sunday night, and it's off. 
Stanford at USC isn't even happening. It's been postponed. USC has COVID issues within his program. That's off. And that just allows me to say, by the way, the one thing I was kind of looking forward to recapping on this podcast is Texas Baylor. That got postponed due to COVID issues within Baylor's program again. So Baylor lost Gonzaga and Texas in consecutive weekends. So, you know, this is going to be a weekly thing. And, uh, and so we, we both didn't lose that pick, by the way. Um, just, you know, we, we disagreed on, on the outcome. But, uh, but yeah, the things that stood out to me, we have to talk. I, listen, we have to talk about Kentucky first here. Because um, I, I do want to – how about this? I'll go, I'll go reverse order, and then we'll land on Kentucky, and we'll discuss Kentucky. Um, West Virginia beating Richmond the way that it did. Uh, Richmond's 4-1. and one, Mountaineers are 6-1. and one. Um, West Virginia social media team put out a graphic of, like, a shoe stepping on a spider. <laughs> It's going in the no context Ion College Basketball Podcast preview, by the way. There's, there's just no doubt about that. Um, West Virginia, good stuff there. Richmond takes its first loss. Uh, certainly notable because we were intrigued by that game. It was part of the Final Four and one. You took Richmond. I'll remind listeners, I had West Virginia. We know who won that one. Um, uh, Clemson, how about Clemson? Still undefeated. Beats Bama 64-56. It's 5-0. You don't want to rank the Tigers because you've had a private grudge with Brad Brownell for, I think, at least six years, and the public deserves to know about that. Clemson has four of its first five wins against teams in power conferences. Didn't get a chance to fact-check this before the podcast, but I don't think to this point there's another team that has at least five wins with overall and four of them coming against teams in power conferences. They defeated Mississippi State, Purdue, Maryland, and then the eight-point win against Bama on on, uh, on on Saturday. That was just good, good stuff for the Tigers. You're the next Missouri. That's all I got to say. I think one more win, and then we can get dedicated now, right, segment to you, but good stuff for Clemson. That's a, The ACC has been a little bit rickety here, but you have a Clemson maybe bumping up. That's a, that's a good-time deal there, and... The only other thing before I get to Kentucky is that Kate Cunningham, and I guess you know if they have another good game, we'll we'll we can focus in on him more. But he's just been he's been the best freshman in America at this point. Like he hit a game winner for Oklahoma State to get him past Wichita State. He's averaging eighteen point eight, five point seven boards, three point eight assists, more than a block and a steal per game. Um, Oklahoma State's not ranked, so it's not yet on the radar. But Cunningham. Like Luca Garza, we've talked about. He was expected to be the best player in America. He still is. Iowa destroyed Iowa State on Friday night. Cade Cunningham expected to be the best freshman in America. He has been. We don't always have that happen. It's been pretty good. Now let me get to Kentucky. Well, let's let's let 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 me correct the record for a second. Okay. Has it been has it been seven years that you've had your grudge with Brownell? Listen, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. My heart belongs to Oliver Purnell. Exactly. Right? My heart belongs to to OPP. I used to have a T-shirt with Oliver Purnell's face on it, and I can't find it. I lost it somewhere. You have a child with Oliver Purnell's name, so <laughs> I, na- I named my middle child after Oliver Purnell. So, like, what do you what do you want from me? But I hold no grudge against Brad Brownell, um, and um, I, I watched every second of his game against Alabama on uh, Saturday night, and they were terrific. And now they've got they're two and zero against the SEC, two and zero against the Big Ten. They've beaten Alabama and Mississippi State, Maryland, and Purdue, and Clemson will be in the top 25 and one on Monday morning. Okay. That's what I like to hear. I'm removed. I'm removing. Tell me if this is okay. And I say this. As how about the this? Hold on. Ceremonies. How about this? How about you? How about you just let me decide if I disagree, don't put them in. I don't think you can intelligently disagree. Okay. Uh, I, and I say this with great, um, just say I, I take, it. I, I take no joy in this. I'm the, I'm the master of ceremonies. At Atlantic you're, about to, you're about to boot San Diego state. Aren't you? Oh. No, I, boot, I, I booted Richmond. I booted Richmond. 
Yeah, that's probably fair. And, and here's why. First off, they just got their doors blown off on Sunday. But the only reason Richmond is ranked, at least from my perspective, they were out to start the season. They beat Kentucky, and we were like, woo here's the A-10 favorite. Just got to win at Kentucky. Let's rank them. Okay, well, what does that even mean? Everybody beats Kentucky. <laughs> like, it, it does, like, it's not even a thing anymore. So I'm removing Richmond on Monday morning, and Clemson will be in uh, in the, the, the top 25 and one. Now to Kentucky. Well, hold on. I listen. I listen. I I look out for you, buddy. But I can't. Like you can't. You got. You got to do what you got to do. But when the fall of twenty twenty one comes around and the A ten isn't asking you to MC their media day anymore, you're gonna have no one to blame but yourself. Like if you're gonna boot Richmond like this, you got to realize that consequences. Drew Dickerson listens to this podcast. Bernadette McGlade listens to this podcast. They're not gonna Uh-oh. be okay with this they'll be fine. They understand. They understand that when, and when I'm in a position to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, I'm happy to do it. But don't, Hey, don't ever forget who was the CBS sports national player of the year. A 10s Obi Toppin. That's right. Like we, you know, we got, we got some deposits in the bank. We can take a (laughs) withdrawal every once in a while if we need to. Richmond is considered a withdrawal, but I'll be happy to put the spiders back in when they stop getting stepped on by Mountaineers. That is completely, that is completely fair. And I like that. uh, I like that analogy there. Okay. Kentucky's one and four and it almost actually pulled off a 24 point comeback to beat Notre Dame at home. It looked brutal. In the first 20 minutes, Paris and I were on HQ. Just as an aside, if you guys are interested in stuff like this, because if you listen to the podcast, if there is a game that's on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, the Network of Stars, just know that pregame, halftime, postgame, GP and I, probably both of us, but at least one of us, will be giving you some analysis and dropping dropping in. Like, I dropped in some Mick Cronin deep references to the podcast on HQ. You think I care? No, it's going to happen. So if you enjoy, I wish I could have seen your face. I wonder when you do that, like, should we be doing that? I don't do it because I, I understand it is likely to totally different audiences. But uh, but I'm happy to watch you do it. Yeah, it, it, listen, you gotta you gotta drop the nuggets in for the fans there, okay? The hardcore. So yes, I I, I wish I could have seen your face when I did it, but I I was I it was just me on the on the screen there. So I did drop a McCronin's better than John Wooden on CBS Sports HQ. Zero regrets. Um, but anyway, the point is at halftime when we were talking on HQ, it was first of all they'd ask if we would take Notre Dame to cover 15 and a half by the end of the game. We both had zero hesitation. Whoops. But we did take Notre Dame to cover the seven, and it did. Uh, credit to Mike Bray for his team to get in two and two. Kentucky is obviously the story. It's one and four. Worst start in 36 years for Kentucky. Its next game is against the greatest coach in UCLA history in the CBS Sports Classic, scheduled for Saturday. We'll obviously get to that later in the week there. But if it were to lose that game, shouts to Pat Forty because he had this stat. It's... It, Kentucky hasn't been one in five to start a season since the 1920s before the Great Depression. What? So significant issues remain. Um, Brandon Boston hasn't been as good as advertised. Terrence Clark, who is now going to apparently run the point or run it uh, to a certain degree, Cal said in the postgame. Um, he's been up and down. Olivier Saar had a really good look. It just didn't fall. Like, if it, again... As I said on HQ in the postgame, if Sar shot falls, we're talking differently about Kentucky. We're still expressing serious concern, but the difference between one bucket in and one bucket not, and now they're looking at one and four. Um, Davion Mintz, uh, he seems to be uh, the player that you want on the floor more frequently than uh, Devin Askew, if, if Cal isn't going to go with both of them at the same time there. Um, and my last point on Kentucky is... 
Um, they aren't losing relevance because if they remain bad, they're going to be oddly intriguing. But they are already in a very deep hole in terms of making the NCAA tournament. And if it were to lose again and go one and five, the margin for error is almost nil because we, there's still no guarantees you're going to get in all your league games. It, it has an opportunity against Texas in the SEC Big 12 Challenge in late January. Like Theoretically, you're going to be able to play that. But the point is, like you've started terribly. You have all of these freshmen there. It looks like the worst team Cal's ever had. You have fewer games, period. So your room for error inherently in everyone's is, is, is reduced. And now, like, yeah, you hope you can play 27, but there's no, like, you could play 22. You can play 23 games. And if that's the case and you turn it around, but let's say you play 23 games, let's say you play 24. Let's say Kentucky plays 24 games. It can turn this around, but it's still not great. And it's 14 and 10. That's not getting you to the tournament, I don't believe. A 14 and 10 season is not, and then whether you have an SEC tournament or you don't. Um, so I think it's not too early to kind of talk about Kentucky in these terms. Do you agree? Like, do you really, like, right now, percentage wise, if I told you Kentucky is. 20% to make the NCAA tournament. Would you say right on the money? Would you put it at lower? Or would you put it at higher? I might put it a little higher than that simply because there's two lottery picks on the roster. They could just flip a switch at any point and then you go, oh, and now they're just overwhelming people from a talent perspective. I never rule that out with Kentucky, but I do think it's pretty clear at this point this is the worst team John's ever had at Kentucky. I mean, everybody's going to point to the Nerlens Noel NIT team. That team was top 25 at Ken Palm the night that Nerlens Noel got hurt they were headed to the NCAA tournament they lost their best player and it went backwards downward really quickly um but you know this this is this is Kentucky's team I mean you know Keon Brooks they'll get back but like if you're relying on Keon Brooks to save the day like something has gone wildly wrong at UK I I, I how about this yes or no will Kentucky make the 2021 NCAA tournament no if I'm putting that 20 percent right now I have to say no yeah, I, I would say no too. And and by the way, um, you know, again, you mentioned the next two opponents. They should be one in six through seven games, barring a surprise. I'm not predicting that necessarily, but you know that that they will be underdogs in their next two games. Ken Palm currently projects them to finish twelve and fourteen overall, ten and eight in the SEC. That ain't gonna get you there. <laughs> not gonna get you there. It won't get you to a sixty-four team NIT. Not good. <laughs> not uh, not um, not good. So yeah. They're shooting 25% from three, the 24.7% from three. That ranks 292nd in the country. They're turning it over 23.8% of the time. That's 276th in the country. And did you see Cal's post game? <laughs> I saw uh, John Clay, I believe, is the one who tweeted it. Cal was, I, I don't know whether he was asked a question or if it was opening statement, but he said something along the lines of every time you string losses at this place, it's like a national disaster. I'm not buying into it. I don't listen to it when it's good. I don't listen. I don't care about it when it's good. I don't care about it when it's bad. I don't listen to it when it's good. I don't listen to it, whatever it was. So I just, I was like, Ooh, I want to see the replies to this one. And the Kentucky fans were just tearing him up like like mm. wh what like the, you, it's not okay to be one and four at kentucky and that is the truth like let's let's first state the the obvious john calipari has been amazing at kentucky incredible at kentucky he's been there um since the 2009 2010 season uh, he's won a national title he's gone to all these final fours like he, he's been great but it is often now that he spends november december talking about complaining about the same things every year 
like, oh, we're just so young. You know, this is we're just so young. This is the way it's got to be. And Kentucky fans, I think, I don't want to speak for all of them, but certainly some have reached the point where they're like, you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. Like, we don't have to, like, well, why isn't Villanova every year complaining about being young and, and taking bad losses? You know, why doesn't Kansas every year, and why aren't they complaining about being young and taking bad losses? Like, it doesn't have to be, like, it's not automatic guarantee that, well, you know, we're young and, you know, this is just the way it is and this is the way it's going to be. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. It reminded me a little bit of, I got a buddy that I play golf with all the time, and he, he, he will not wear a golf glove. He just will not wear one. And every round, he says, I know. And every round, he's my teammate, by the way. So, like, it frustrates me because there's at least one drive every round where he just, you know, sends it out of bounds. And he's like, MF and club slipped. And I'm like, you know, this is fixable. <laughs> you know, you just put just put a put a glove on, or he'll be he'll be somewhere, and he'll got he'll you know he'll be trying to figure out what club to use, and he'll go, I have uh, I have no idea how far I am from this hole. Yeah, but buy a rangefinder. I mean, you, you all, you're, they have you're markers on the course too, by the way, where you can. And a lot of you, there's no there's no uh, tracker on the cart. Like that's becoming, there is. But we often walk. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, we often walk. So so like I'm prepared to walk. So you know what I do? I have a rangefinder, so I always know where I'm at. And uh, I, like he complains about things that he can easily fix. Is my point. And like I think some Kentucky fans have grown to the point of frustration with Cal while recognizing big picture, everything's excellent. Usually that, yo man, why are you always complaining about the same things? You're in control of these things. If you don't want to be young every year, you don't have to be young every year. And I, I do wonder if this is the type of, for lack of a better phrase, rock bottom um, that, that he hits at Kentucky, assuming they don't get this thing turned around where it does actually make him alter his roster building philosophy because if you are at risk of being this reliant on first year players every year and you know that it makes things very difficult every year um maybe you maybe it's time to start trying to figure out a way to avoid this these difficult circumstances that you keep finding yourself in all right lastly um we can wrap the podcast with what we started the previous podcast with. I'm sure plenty of listeners are aware, but if they're not, clue them in to uh, perhaps a predictable uh, you know, next chapter in the Nate Oates-Mike Krzyzewski uh, dialogue, if you will. So you, you might remember last week, Alabama coach Nate Oates questioned Mike Krzyzewski's motives for canceling Duke's game against Gardner-Webb. Um, we discussed it on Friday's podcast, like Norlander mentioned. Go check that out if you want. Then on Saturday night, Alabama plays Clemson, loses, and Nate apologized to Coach K. Here's in part what he said. He said, quote, I kind of want to publicly apologize to Coach K for what I said. I assigned a motive to him and a decision made for his team, which I should not have done. I actually felt terrible about it as soon as I got out of the press conference. I reached out to him. He was gracious enough to return my call. We had a good talk on the phone. I've got the utmost respect for him as a coach. Uh, what did you make of Nate Oates apologizing? First of all, how do you think Nate Oates got Coach K's number? Um, Nate Oates, I would assume. What's, let's the, see. what's the connection? Nate, work it out. Real time. Work it out. How do you think he got it? What is the connection from Nate Oates to Coach K? Yes. I mean, like, there's a million ways to get Coach K's there's cell. A, there's, 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 
Oh, Bobby Hurley. There we go. Yes, okay. Nate Oates was under Bobby Hurley at Buffalo. Hurley left uh, to take uh, Arizona State. Nate Oates became the Buffalo coach. And so so what I'm curious about is just uh, Nate Oates, either whether Hurley hit up Nate or Nate hit up Hurley and was like, listen, I, I need to make this right. Because he did say, according first of all, Nate said that after he had his press conference, he kind of knew pretty quickly that he shouldn't have said what he said. Um, I don't have all of what he said in this media availability, but if he's going to apologize, that he also should, you know, offer a little bit of an apology to the reporter who he also put on the spot there. I think that would be appropriate as well. But uh, would be curious about um, if Nate was uh, talking with Bobby before he called Mike, and I would think that actually uh, happened there. And so, yes, good on Nate for apologizing for this. Does uh, this also is going to frustrate a lot of people because, expectedly, it's like. Oh, I hate this. Like, why? Well, no. If he if he honestly feels like he needed to apologize because he was over the line, then then so be it. Like, I'm not going to step off what we said before. Coaches not being afraid to to speak their mind and criticize other coaches for whatever they're going to do. Like, it makes for easy copy for us, easy discussion. It makes it more compelling. And I wasn't surprised that Nate said this to begin with. But if he wants to, if he wants to. Take it back, then he's taking it back, and we'll we'll credit him for that as well. And I'm sure he had a productive conversation with Mike Shashevsky after he realized uh, what he had said. Again, he might not be wrong. If Duke was four and zero, would Mike Shashevsky's press conference have started with a reporter asking him, you know, Mike, what what are your thoughts on just even play- you're two and two? What are your thoughts on even playing this, uh, trying to get through it? And then uh, you know, Mike said what he said. Maybe he doesn't get asked the question to begin with, and we're not even talking about this overall. But he did. And so Nate said what he said, and then he apologized there um, after after losing to uh, after losing to Clemson there. So good on him for for doing it if that's what he truly believes. And I think ultimately, I almost said this on the podcast. I I kind of thought that he might go there, and, and sure enough, he did over the weekend. Yeah, I, I I saw a lot of the same reaction you saw. Like people, what is he apologizing for? He didn't say anything wrong. He he did say something wrong. It, it, again, we don't have to dive into it. We talked about it on Friday's podcast. He was he was out of line. Um, I, yeah, I've had others question his sincerity, like, oh, he, you know, they just got to him and you got to apologize to Coach K because nobody can criticize Coach K. Um, I'm not going to question his sincerity. It, you know, I, I have no reason to. If Nate felt obligated to, or, or compelled to, to apologize, then uh, I'm glad that he did it. And I'm not going to question his mo- I, I Just as I will not question Mike Krzyzewski's motives for canceling a game against Gardner Webb. I'm not going to question Nate Oates motive for apologizing to coach K for what he said. I'm going to take him at his word. He said he felt terrible after he said it, reached out, got coach K on the phone and they had a good conversation during which he apologized. And I tweeted late Saturday night, you know, sort of un- unrelated to this, just in general, I love apologies. I-, I-, I love to apologize when I'm wrong. I love to accept people's apologies when okay. th- when they've wronged me and and they're willing to say hey i shouldn't have done that or i should whatever the hey, situation hey, listen is. i sh- i apologize because listen this is going to come as a surprise but what i said about brad brownell and the nature of Parrish's relationship with the man it wasn't true i was wrong so gary and you know i almost never call you gary it's just Parrish mm-hmm. or gp i apologize i'm sorry Will you I accept, accept your apology. Thank you. I accept your apology. Of course. I, I think the, about the strongest thing you can do and nicest thing you can do for a person is to accept a sincere apology. Because if somebody is, is at a point where they feel compelled to actually apologize to you for something, it usually means that they know they did something wrong. 
And so what is the point of carrying that around forever? Like, hey, we, if we can resolve this right now, let's resolve it right now. Um, I, lo- I love I love This is something I didn't understand when I was younger. I learned this later in life. Like, I, I can say this totally sincerely. I carry around with me no ill will toward anybody on this planet. Nobody. nobody. I, I, there are people who I just, I don't, as the young people might say, F with anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just because I don't, you know, I don't need them in my life. I, I don't, I, I'm not interested in dealing with them on a regular basis, but I don't think about them, you know, badly. I, I don't care around grudges. I don't care around resentment. Like I've got other flaws, lots of them, but that, that's not one. That's what I figured out at some point. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry around with me every day, this hatred toward these people, uh, these little rivalries that don't have to exist. And so if uh, anybody that I have wronged or think that I've wronged, I have, I, I try to sincerely apologize for it. And hopefully they accept the apology and, and I'm willing to accept somebody else's apology. Uh, you know, as I'm talking about this one very small item that popped in my head, you might remember we were doing the 2019 NBA draft and we did a post draft podcast. I guess we were in Stanford, Connecticut. Oh my gosh. Do you remember this at all? Well, I, that was the roughest podcast situation we've ever had because we did the whole thing and you forgot to record it. No, I recorded it. Apologize right now because I recorded it. Apologize. Oh, I, I, I apologize. Somebody's mic wasn't on. No, the mics were on. The input wasn't correct. It was coming through my computer and not through the microphones. And so we had to re-record a podcast after recording one for 45 minutes. And by the time we finished the second one, it must have been 2.30 a.m. and I still had to drive home. Go ahead. No, oh, it was rough. Okay, so in that podcast, I remember we were talking about the Hawks went up and they or I don't know, they went off. They just drafted Cam Reddish. And I thought that was too high to draft Cam Reddish because I, I was not a Cam Reddish fan. In fairness to Cam Reddish, he's pretty good in his rookie season. Like he had moments that made you go, oh yeah, he was worth a top 10 pick, but whatever, that's not the point. The point is earlier in the day, I was listening to some radio somewhere, or maybe I just saw the clip uh, you know, on Twitter, but Chris Patola, who is an ESPN college basketball analyst, um, was assess um was was evaluating cam reddish as an nba prospect and not favorably and so one of the points i made on the podcast i was like dude like the hawks take cam reddish in the top 10 i was like i just heard mike shashevsky's son-in-law killing cam reddish as a prospect not as a person but as a prospect you know he was saying things like you know he's supposed to be a shooter but he don't make shots he's supposed to be this but he doesn't do that and I was like, what, 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 does Co- what do you think Coach K has told his son-in-law about Cam Reddish to make Chris Patola feel that comfortable killing Cam Reddish as a prospect on the day of the draft? And, you know, in the moment, I thought it was a pretty good point to make. And so next day, maybe two days later, um, I get a message from Chris. He's like, hey, GP, hit me back if you can. So I call him back. And he said, hey, listen, somebody had tweeted me and said, you guys were talking about me on the podcast and I love the podcast. So I was excited and I, so I, wa- I couldn't wait to listen. And then I, I listened and I, and I heard it. And he's like, man, that like really bothered me because he's like, honestly, I've never talked to my father-in-law uh, about Cam Reddish. You know, that, that evaluation of Cam Reddish is the same type of evaluation I would make on Precious Achua. You know, it's just me watching them as a player. Like I'm a college basketball analyst. Um, 
you know, I, yes, I'm married to, to Coach K's daughter, but I'm a college basketball analyst, just like, just like you are. And so I have, you know, I evaluate prospects and then I get asked questions and I talk about them. And so it really, it, it, it bothered me that you had sort of framed it as Coach K's son-in-law hates Cam Reddish as opposed to ESPN basketball analyst um, is questioning Cam Reddish as an NBA prospect. And you know what I said? I said, you're right. I'm sorry. I should not have done that. I was out of line because I clearly I could try to rationalize why I did what I did. And I did try to explain it, but I was wrong. That, that's like a moment where I was like, you know what? I should not have said there aren't many moments, believe it or not, as much as I talk for public consumption where I actually regret saying what I said or how I said it. I, I, it doesn't happen that often because um, I try to think things through before I actually say them. But that was one where I was like, you know what? You're right. I should not have framed that that way. I should not have hammered home the point I was hammering home and I can't undo it, but I can't apologize. I'm sorry. And, and he was totally cool. He was like, I, you know what? I, it, I, I, I was hoping this is the way the conversation would go. And so we're cool. Like he, I, I love Chris Patola, but that was one where I felt better after I apologized. And I bet you he felt better after he accepted the apology. And so I'm a big fan of apologies and I like seeing Nate Oates, recognize I was out of line, shouldn't have said what I said. I apologize to Coach K, first privately and then publicly. Dig it, man. Listen, we're on a tight window. I'm going to let you get out of here. But just a heads up to listeners, if you're looking for anything, Rutgers, Maryland, Marquette, Creighton, if they can get played on Monday night, those are the two biggest games. And then we previously mentioned Clemson. It's going to play Virginia Tech Tuesday at 6.30. That along with Georgia Tech, Florida State are probably, those are probably the four best games scheduled for the next two days. We will podcast again on Wednesday morning and uh, and see what the latest uh, has happened around in and around college hoops. But thanks again for joining. If you're a hardcore that listen on Sunday night, we appreciate it. If not, you're listening Monday. Well, we're back in the swing three times a week and uh, our sincere gratitude to you. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Like Norlanda said, thank you guys for listening. Right in the middle of the absolute idiotic, most idiotic pandemic of my lifetime. I can't believe this is how we live. I never thought we'd be here. Here we are. But the vaccines, courtesy of FedEx, based in Memphis, Tennessee. You are... We're going to get out of here, but yes, I, I did check late late on Saturday night. You dropped like uh, all caps, let's go, three exclamation points of a picture of a plane flying through the sky. <laughs> you, were like, you were like, you were ready. You were into it. So that was just, that, that cracked me up. I'm fired up. Like, like, let's my, go. I, I, let's go, Fed. Hey, like I, I know those, I know those guys. Like I, I you know actually the, the, know the guys flying the planes. That's the, that's what people don't realize is that he no, actually knows I, the people. I know. What you're saying. No, I know the Smith family, and um, and and some of the Smith. Like I'm, I'm not buddies with Fred Smith. I'm not trying to, <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> but but I am I am friends with some of his children, and so um, I'm, I root for FedEx unapologetically, and the idea that FedEx is is playing a role in um, getting this vaccine where it needs to get. Um, uh, yeah, it's fired up. Plus, I maybe, I maybe I had a drink or two. Who knows? Shouts to FedEx. Shouts to Larnell. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening in the middle of this dumb pandemic. We're going to be back on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. CBS Sunday. 
You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.